0: Ephesians chapter 2, which is seven, page 799. We're looking at verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility." So we're continuing in our series today uh, in Ephesians, and uh, when you go to seminary, you take classes on preaching, and one of the things they say to do is that, you know, if you're going to preach a parable or a story of Jesus' life, what do you do? You kind of preach a sermon perhaps that has a more story feel to it or has some stories in it. And if you preach a, an epistle, so that means a letter, one of Paul's letters, well, Paul tends to be l- more logical and uh, very carefully constructed. You need to preach a more logical and carefully constructed sermon. Uh, and so that's one of the rules of preaching, right? Well, rules are made to be broken. So uh, this week, uh, I felt like the Lord wanted me to start with a sermon. Now, this sermon uh, It's inspired by the word, but it is not divinely inspired itself. It's not a biblical story, but it's one that I came up with and I think really is an allegory or a metaphor uh, for what we're going to be talking about in our passage today. So I'm going to start my sermon with this story, and then I'll uh, pray before we kind of start the rest of the sermon. Uh, So imagine with me. Uh, You can close your eyes if you want. You can look off. You can look at me. Whatever helps you imagine. Imagine with me you live in a brown, desert-like land. You were born there, and you've grown up there. You grew up in a small town, and in this small town, it's a hard place to live. There aren't a lot of opportunities. There's not a lot of jobs. There's not much of a future. You have some family there, but many of them have died It's not a safe place for you to live. It's not a safe place because of the kinds of people that are there, but it's also not a safe place to live because you've done some things that are bad. And You know that if you stay there, those things are gonna catch up with you. This is the land of no hope. There's no hope for the present. There's no hope for the future. But you hear of a better country. You hear of a far country. You hear of a land of opportunity and hope. You hear of green plants and flowering trees. You hear of living animals, of birds, of cows, of horses, of dogs, of rabbits. But there's a problem. Your country is at war with that country. Your country is an enemy of the far country. You are sworn enemies. And as a citizen of your country, you're a terrorist to that country. You're a terrorist to the people of that land. But you decide there's nothing for me here, so I might as well give it a try. So maybe, just maybe, they will receive me. And so you begin to make the long, hard journey. You travel through wastelands and desert plains. You pass dead bushes and trees and ghost towns. Ash falls from the sky. You pass the skeletal remains of cattle and birds and human bones. And when you think you can't go any further and you're parched and you're dying of thirst, you spot something on the horizon. It's huge. It stretches from one end of the horizon to the the other end. And at first you think it's a mountain range. But as you get closer, you realize it's a wall. It's a 100-foot tall wall. The wall is straight up. It's perfectly smooth. It is impossible to climb. No ladder is tall enough. And as you look at the base of the wall, you realize that No shovel can help you dig underneath this wall. There's no way over or under the wall you're stuck. And yet as you're walking along the wall looking for some sort of entrance, you hear birds chirping and cows mooing and you hear the sound of waterfalls. And you know that if you can just make it over this wall, you will be saved. And then you begin to hear the sound of laughter of people. And so you begin to shout, help me, help me, save me, save me. I'm on the other side of this wall. I need to come over. Then a handful of people appear at the top of the wall. They look over. They're each wearing white tunics. And they throw a long rope over the side of the wall and they begin to lower it. And you think, at last, I'm saved. But just before the rope comes into reach, they stop lowering it. You hear a voice call down, are you one of us? You have no idea what this means, so you say, well, who are you? There's a pause, and you hear a second question, are you circumcised? You shout back, why do you want to know that? A third question, have you ever eaten pigs or dogs or cats or horses or donkeys or rats Or seafood that has a shell like lobsters or oysters? Yes, you shout back. Final question, they shout back. Do you work on Saturdays? When I have a job, you reply. Well, there's a pause. And then they begin to pull the rope back up. And as the rope raises, your heart fails. As you watch it go further and further up the wall. Why, you shout Because you're unclean, they reply. Get away. Get away from here. You're not one of us. You don't look like us or act like us or obey our country's laws. Go away. And they begin to throw sticks and stones and rotten food down at you. You flee the wall, running for your life. The people on the other side of the wall, they don't want you. But you will die if you stay on this side of the wall. In fact, others have died. You notice a, bur- a burial site a little ways away. You think, well, that's a good place to die, and so you walk over there. But you realize it's actually an empty grave. It looks freshly, freshly shoveled. Robbers must have stolen the body. There's a small wooden cross buried in the dirt with a sign hanging on it, and you read this. It said, here lay King Jesus. He shed his blood so that enemies who repent of their sins and believe in him may freely come into his country. As you look down at this cross in the land of death and decay, you examine your own heart. You were born in a bad place, but you've done many bad things by your own choosing. You deserve to die as an enemy of the king. But this says if you repent and believe in the king of the far country... He will rescue you. A little dirty cross, a little dirty grave. Could it possibly be true? You get on your knees and you say a small prayer, repenting of your sins, believing in King Jesus, and hoping beyond hope that he will deliver you. And as you pray, the ground begins to rumble and shake, and that hundred-foot wall that seems so strong and opposing and permanent comes crashing to the ground. And when the dust from the rubble begins to to clear, you see a new man. You see a new man walking towards you. He's wearing a garment of red and a golden crown. He walks up to you and he embraces you and he invites you to follow him. You follow him slowly, slowly making your way through the rubble. And as you pass through the cloud of dust and it begins to clear, you see the far country for the first time with your own eyes. You see the birds of all shapes and sizes, and you hear all the different songs. You see the cattle grazing and the horses running in green grass. There's a tall waterfall and blue streams of living water flowing past the roots of red apple trees. In the distance, you see a golden city with spires rising up into the white clouds. But before you head that direction, the king dressed in red leads you to the group of people in white who call down to you from the top of the wall. With fire in his eyes, he picks up the rope and rips it and shreds. And as you look into the faces of the men and women who tried to drive you away, you see real humans with real faces and real lives. And they see you too. With tears in their eyes, they tell you how sorry they are. And you embrace. Then you hear the king in the red tunic speak to you all. He says, welcome to my country. You are each a citizen And a son, come, follow me to the far city. I'm still building it, and you each have a precious and important part to play. And together you set off to the golden city. Let me pray. King Jesus, thank you for this story. Thank you for your scripture. Would this story speak to our hearts? Would it illustrate our passage Thank you for delivering us from the land of death and decay and hope and giving us hope, uh, hope of eternal life. Help us examine our hearts so that we don't drive others away from you. Help us see our blind spots. Bring brothers and sisters in Christ that can help us see them. Help us follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I started with this story because I think passages like the one we just read, verses 11 through 22, I think they can be kind of hard to relate to. They can be hard to bring into our context today as Paul talks about the difference between Jewish person and Gentile person and describes how they didn't get along, that there was this wall of hostility. So I want us to relate to this passage, not just intellectually with our minds, but also with our hearts, to understand how beautiful this passage is, but also how bold and how inflammatory a passage like this could be. And so I want us to look at the three things Paul is saying in this passage, and the first one is not really a message of hope. It's this, that we, Kevin, you're going to have to flip the slide, we as Gentiles didn't have access to the Jewish people's salvation. Verses 11 through 12. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision Which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. Gentile just means non Jewish person. I am not Jewish. And I imagine that many of you today, if you look at your own heritage, maybe you have a percentage. That you can say, I have a percentage of Jewish heritage in my life. But I assume that most of us are not Jewish. And Paul is being very clear in our passage that God's plan of salvation was first and foremost for the Jewish people. And so Paul, as he addresses the Gentiles in Ephesus, he gives them four reasons why they should not have any hope. The first one is this You were separate from Christ. You were separate from Christ. Well, the word Christ means Messiah, right? God had promised through the scriptures that a Messiah, a king, a chosen ruler, an anointed one would come for the Israelite people to deliver them. But this Messiah, although eventually, He is for all peoples. He was first a Jew, and he was for the Jewish people. You Gentiles, you non-Jews, you were separate from Christ. Number two, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel. To be born a Gentile means you are not born a Jew. You are not born a citizen of Israel. Now, as citizens of our country, of America, we recognize how important it is to have citizenship, to be born in this country or to have parents that are born here because those things grant us citizenship. And there are our rights and privileges that come with being an American citizen, aren't there? Well, There were rights and privileges that came with being born Jewish. You had access to the temple. You had uh, knowledge of the Scriptures. You were trained in the Scriptures, the Scriptures that provide the one true pathway to God. If you were a male, you were circumcised at eight days. And if you, if you wanted to become Jewish and you're a male, like you had to be circumcised no matter your age. And then if you wanted to be Jewish, you, well, you had to follow Israel's dietary laws the things they could and could not eat. You had to keep the Sabbath, not work. on Saturday, you had to keep the sacrificial laws. And those Gentiles who did all these things, who converted to Judaism, they were known as proselytes. But even then, the Jewish people didn't consider them fully Jewish. <laughs> it took a generation before they were like, you're a full, fully Jewish person. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. Three, you were a foreigner to the covenants of promise. So, throughout the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, God made promises. The promises that God makes, they're covenants, we call them covenants. But God made these promises to to very specific people, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to to Jacob's descendants, the the nation of Israel. And it's through these people that we see the covenants unfolding. Now, some of you who know the scriptures know that in Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, God gives Abraham a promise, and he says, "You're you're gonna be blessed, but I'm also gonna use you to bless all nations. So that means the Gentiles Were eventually supposed to be a part of that plan, but not first. God was going to make a new covenant, and we see Jesus doing that at the Last Supper. But first, God's plan was for the Jewish people. We were foreigners to the covenants of promise. And fourth, you were without hope and without God in the world. So think about that. You're separated from the Messiah. You're excluded from Israel. You're foreigners to God's promises. If you're a Gentile person and you're living in this time period, back then when this was written, you're you're without hope. You're living in that land of no hope, of death and decay, with no future. But Paul is writing to a church. To a church to a church full of Christians where something has changed. Something is now different. notice that all four of these statements say were. You were separated. You were excluded. You were foreigners. You were without hope. It's because of this. But now, in Christ Jesus, the wall between Jewish and Gentile people has come down. Let me read verses 13 through 18. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I want to pause there for a moment. Remember two weeks ago when Andy preached, did such a great job, and he pointed out in his passage in, uh, earlier in chapter 2, and he was preaching verses 1 through 10, he pointed out verse 4. It says this, it says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. That's a transition statement. The first three verses talk about, like, you're dead in your sins, you're dead in your trespasses. And what happens? Paul says, but God, you're dead, you're spiritually dead, but God, but God. And then he goes on to describe the grace. And all that God has to offer us through Christ Jesus, that we've been saved by, by God's grace through our faith. And we see this same thing happening again. Paul uses the same like literary device in verse 13. But now, so you had all these bad things, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. So I talked about a wall in my beginning story and kind of visualized it either as a border wall or perhaps like an apocalyptic end of days wall. And what wall is the scripture talking about? Well, I think it's actually talking about one of the walls in the temple complex. So Herod's temple, he built this, this amazing, beautiful temple that's been destroyed, but there's a temple mount, right? And there's like a courtyard. There's a big courtyard. And in the center of that courtyard, you can see in this picture, there's a temple. But you can actually see there's a couple different walls. There's a couple different areas. The, kind of the, 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 the area on the front uh, to the right, that's the women's court. Uh, But there's an outer court. See the the large space? That's called the the court of the Gentiles. And so the Gentiles, right, they're supposed to be able to come and have access to God, be able to be in true relationship with the living God, right? Well, the Jewish people, they put up a wall. (laughs) And you can see it. It's uh, it's the smaller wall at the bottom of the base of the footsteps, uh, uh, at the base of of the steps. It's about a a four-and-a-half-foot wall. And it went all the way around the temple. And the the Gentile people were not to go past that wall. So if you lived during this time, you were a Gentile, but you wanted to have access to God, you couldn't go past this wall. There were 13 plaques, stone plaques, that said this. It said, no foreigner is to enter within the forecourt and balustrade around the sanctuary Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. (laughs) That's a cheery sign, right? It really makes you feel warm and welcome, so they should put that on a welcome mat. So you weren't allowed to go in. There's actually a story in the Bible, in the book of Acts. So Acts is all about the early history of the church, and in Acts chapter 21, Paul has brought some Gentiles to Jerusalem. And the leaders in Jerusalem, the spiritual leaders, not the Christians, but the Jewish leaders, they falsely accuse Paul of bringing one of those Gentiles into that inner court, past that wall. And it's like a riot breaks out. The whole city is like thrown into this this like upheaval. And they drag Paul out of the court and they try to kill him. There was immense hostility around your ethnicity. If you were not a Jewish person, there was a deep root of racism. And this saturated the early church. This didn't just stop in Jerusalem. So as Christianity grows and spreads, as Paul preaches to the Gentiles and people come to believe and Jewish people come to believe. Well, they're in these new churches and these new towns and there's two different groups of people who, who at least one group doesn't like the other and I'm pretty sure the other group probably thought the, the, the Jewish people were weird and they have to figure out how to, how to become one, how to be unified, how to be brought together by the blood of Christ. This wasn't an easy task. This wasn't an overnight change. Peter had to see visions. God had to bring visions of unclean animals coming down multiple times before he was really willing to go and preach to the the Gentiles. This took a long, hard time. But verse 15 tells us that Christ has fulfilled all the law's requirements. So I talked about some of those dietary and Sabbath and, uh, and, and sacrificial requirements. Well, Christ fulfilled all of those. And in so doing, he made a way for us, all people, Jew or Gentile, to, to come to salvation. He's fulfilled it. Now we come to salvation. And God is creating this one new humanity out of the two. He's taking both Jew and Gentile and making them to one new people. See, Christ rooted out the racism in the early church. Now, I'm not standing here and saying, oh, man, we're all racist. Not at all. But I think we should all take some time and examine our own hearts. Monica and I, we turned in our Safe Families application this week. Some of you remember when Safe Families came and talked in August Uh, Safe Families is a wonderful program meant to help young single mothers, usually young single mothers, uh, in times of crisis, in times of need. When they're going into a hospital or perhaps to rehab and they need Christian families to watch over uh, their kids. You have to go through an application process. We didn't sign up to be a host family because... Uh, We just don't think we can do that right now with Elijah, but we did fill out the family friend application so that if someone else signs up for the host family, we can help support you and uh, help watch uh, the child. But there's a question on the application. Maybe some of you know this if you filled it out. One of the things this application asks is if you feel any discrimination or prejudices during childhood or adulthood. (laughs) Well, that's... That's no fun. Like, I don't want to answer that question. I don't want to be honest about my prejudices. And I'm, I'm not proud to admit this, but I, I admit it in the application, so I'm sharing it as part of this sermon. Uh, but there have been times in my life that I've felt anti-Hispanic, that I've felt racist towards those who live south of us and come here to work or migrate. I've felt that. And That's not a good thing. (laughs) One of the... Now, where does that come from? So, growing up, I'm not going to blame this on anyone else but me, but growing up, uh, I lived in a small mountain town in the mountains of Colorado, and we had a lot of illegal immigrants that would migrate to our town. And uh, instead of seeing these people as... Precious people made in the image of God, I saw them as, you know, harmful, harmful to my town, harmful to my country, to my way of life. I didn't really see them as people, did I? I saw them as problems. Go back, go away. (laughs) These are the sorts of things that I thought and I felt. Now, I believe that's racism in my heart. I believe that's mine. I'm not confessing anyone else's sin. That's my issue, but I've come before the Lord with that, and I really asked him to, to get rid of that. I think he has. I don't think I feel that way at all anymore. But I think if we say, oh, I'm fine, well, praise God, but we should examine our hearts. We should get a little uncomfortable and say, is there anywhere that I need to examine my life to see if there are people that I would rather not be around? Arabs, Africans, blacks, Hispanics, Jewish people, gay people, anyone who's not from New England. (laughs) But now, in Christ Jesus, the wall between Jewish and Gentile people has come down. I don't think you can be a true follower of Jesus and still be racist. I don't think it's possible. Christ roots it out of our hearts. But now in Christ Jesus, the wall between Jewish and Gentile people has come down. There's good news. Christ is building us up into a brand new people with whom he will live and dwell forever. Verses 19 through 22 say this. his spirit. So here, what does Paul do? He sums up for the Gentile believers at Ephesus. You were once foreigners. You were once strangers. You weren't a citizen of this country. But God, he has made you citizens. He's made you fellow heirs. He's made you a part of the family. You're just as much a part as of, of this country as the Jewish people. The Jewish believers. You notice how Christ does it. He doesn't say, "We're going to get a whole bunch of people from all different backgrounds together in one room and just kind of like they have to work it out." <laughs> he says, "No, we're going to we're going to take all these different people—the Jewish people, Gentile people—and we're going to kind of form a circle. We're going to form a circle that's facing in, and Christ Jesus is at the center of that circle." Christ Jesus and the word of God, the message from the apostles and the prophets. That's talking about the scriptures. See, what allows us to get past any, any, uh, any feelings of animosity that we may have towards different types of people is Jesus. As we look at Christ Jesus, as we look at him and everything that he has done, that he came to die, not just for me, but for you. <laughs> for people all around the world and if and if he actually had to die for my sin and he had to die for their sin then that really brings us together. <laughs> we both don't deserve it. But Christ makes salvation possible for both of us. We're bonded together in unity. We're united in Christ Jesus. There's this beautiful picture that Christ is building a new temple that temple that I showed you a picture of, remember in Luke, we talked about how it was going to be destroyed. Well, it was destroyed. And a new temple made of stone, maybe it'll be built again, but it's not in God's plan. God's plan is to build a temple out of people, out of you and me, stones that are that come from different countries and different nations from different backgrounds and have different amounts of wealth and look different and sound different and have different giftings and different skill sets and yet in Christ Jesus we're we're making this perfect beautiful temple that God is going to come and dwell in he's going to live among people we are going to be his temple i'm looking at the temple right now and it's beautiful This is what Christ is doing. Christ is building us up into a brand new people, a brand new temple with whom he will live and dwell forever. I want to take a moment and, I mean, I've applied it some, but I want to apply it a little bit more by answering three questions. The first question is, how should this change me? So me personally, me individually. Well, we should each feel especially if you're not Jewish you should each feel an overwhelming sense of gratitude thank you god for including me in the plan thank you for welcoming me into the family because i don't deserve it take a moment in your heart and just thank god thank you god that i don't have to meet like dietary laws i can eat lobster i can have clam chowder it's okay Thank you that I don't have to be circumcised. Thank you that I don't have to go to the temple every year and offer sacrifices. Thank you for the one true sacrifice in Christ Jesus. How should this change our church? How should this change us as a community I think as a church, we should really try to reflect the diversity of God's plan. We should really work hard to make this a place that welcomes all people from all nationalities, all heritages. You don't have to just live in Westford. You can live in uh, Lowell or Chelmsford or Littleton or Lawrence. You could live anywhere, Groton. Not New Hampshire, but anywhere else. And I know that this is something we do a good job of. So I want to encourage us in that. I think we're a very welcoming place. But we can also take uh, kind of the the challenge personally and individually to to reach out to coworkers and, uh, you know, people at the gym or uh, neighbors that don't look like us. One of the blessings of living in a diverse town is that we can get to know people from India Or other places, Asia, that that don't look and talk like us. Or we can get to know someone who's come from a different part of the U.S. The third question, how should this change our world view? I want to talk about the elephant in the room with my story. (laughs) My story sounded a bit political, didn't it? Paul Is making a political statement. Paul is preaching that our citizenship should not be defined by Rome. And that means we as Christians, our citizenship should not be defined by America. Our citizenship is first and foremost of God's kingdom. Now, And as we think about policy and, and things that impact our lives and our communities and people all around the world, I think as Christians, we should think long and hard about immigrants and refugees. We should think about how we treat them ourselves, but also those we vote for, how they treat them. Why is this? Because each one of us is an immigrant. Each one of us is a refugee. Each one of us was born an enemy of God's kingdom, uh, counted as a terrorist to God's kingdom. So I don't think there is any country in this world that is bad enough or that is risky enough to us in our culture that we shouldn't be able to welcome them with the love of Christ Jesus. Because of the grace that we have received. Christ did not turn us away. He welcomed us into his family. Now this does not mean that we all have to agree on the best way to do that. We're going to hold a diversity of opinions when it comes to things like immigration. But as Christians, we should be the first to speak up for them. We should be the first to welcome them. We should be the first to to do our best to love them because we're immigrants. We're refugees. It does not matter their documentation or their country of origin because we have received so much grace through Christ Jesus. I want to invite you, if, if you're like, you know, Let's wrestle with that a little bit more. Just come talk to me after the service. Like, let's have a good conversation about it. I, I'm not calling anyone a racist who disagrees with me. But I am challenging us to, to, to review our hearts and to see what the scripture has to say. Here's my closing big idea. No matter how different we are, we are one. One. In Christ. No matter how different we are, we are one in Christ. When we confess our sins and put our faith in Christ Jesus, there was an element that my story was missing. And it's this element of that, that Jesus, when King Jesus comes to us, like he has a white cloak for us. He puts a white cloak around you. He, he removes your dirty clothes. He throws them in that empty grave. And you walk forward a brand new creation. You have been cleansed. You have been covered in the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And that is what gives you access into the far country. And one day will bring you to the far city. His righteousness, his holiness bestowed upon us. And so that should change and transform how we see each other. When we look upon each other, it's like we have this, someone said it recently, like, an, like a, a filter, like an Instagram filter where we see people differently. It doesn't mean we don't see their ethnicity or country of origin or wealth or gifts or talents or political party or any other thing. We still see those things Well, we see them first and foremost as a brother or sister in Christ Jesus, as a valued member of the family of God. And when we look at each other's differences, it causes us to admire and appreciate them. (laughs) Together, even if we bump each other's elbows and sometimes get frustrated with each other, we're journeying together to that far city. We're going to arrive. It's going to be beautiful. No matter how different we are, we are one in Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for Christ Jesus. Thank you for the power he has to bring people from all ethnicities, all tribes together. Thank you that he saved us. Thank you that he's washed us in his blood. Lord, bring us home. Bring us home together. Help us examine our hearts and root out those places that aren't good. Would we feel the just complete acceptance of Christ Jesus that he offers to us? He offers us complete acceptance. Help us to extend that same acceptance to others. Lord, I pray for Cornerstone. Would we be a light to the nations? Would we be a light here in Westford, New England? Would we be a light to the world? We give you thanks for Andy and Diana and Anna and everyone else coming back from Haiti today. Even as we speak, they've been doing cross-cultural missions work. This is a beautiful picture of your love for us. Pray for the offering. Lord, would would we give freely because you have given to us? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.